Uh, well, we're going to be all over the place with this next part. This is all part of that discernment series, uh, loaded with metaphors, loaded with things to consider. Uh, but if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 26, this is where we'll get our text. And we look today at Christians and purpose. And I'll just point it out now for the next uh, few weeks, the messages are going to be Christians and, and most of them usually start with the letter P, Christians and purpose. John chapter 12, verse 26 says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. This corresponds very well with the verse that we've been quoting so often. If any man uh, were to follow after me, die unto himself, bear his cross, and follow after me. Um, if they don't do that, they're not fit for the kingdom, Christ says. That ties in well. This is sort of the next part of that. In short, when considering Christians and their purpose, it is to follow Christ. Our purpose is to serve Christ. In gratitude for the eternal salvation of our souls, this should not be a thing of great difficulty. It becomes so, however, when we have lost sight of his teachings. Let us consider, then, his teachings for us. I'm going to read you all the points um, if we, if we don't go too long, we're not going to get through many of them. But the first is that we are called to leave our own kindred. The second, to hate our own lives. The third, to bear our own cross. Fourth, forsake our own possessions. Fifth, to continue in his word. Six, love one another. And seven, bear fruit in kind. We'll begin with leave our own kindred. And we see this best illustrated in Luke 14. If you'll turn there with me, Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, which is where we get the future point in this outline. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to, uh, uh, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." And a lot of this text is going to carry over into these future verses. Now, some are going to hear these points, and you probably already heard a few already, and say, I don't know if God's asking that. And some will say, God's asking way too much. Uh, and many a commentator have debated, uh, did the Lord really mean hate this, these brethren, these sisters, these wives, these mothers, these fathers? Maybe it was a level or degree of love. I've heard that a lot from pulpits, actually, that he meant that he must love God, the Father, love Christ Jesus, the Son, more than he loves these others. I'm not going to spend an entire sermon trying to uh, 
to explain the degree for which we are to love God and hate the others. But I'm going to tell you this. If it is degrees, and he uses the word hate here, then it's a pretty severe degree, is it not? Now, he's not telling us to not love these others. He's telling us to love him most. He's not telling us to not have a desire unto our spouse or younger folks to not have a desire unto your parents or to honor your parents. He would never contradict the law. But he's saying to love him most. I'll go a step further. He's saying to love these individuals in such a way that it expresses that we love him most. When we go through the Bible, and, and we've done it in our Genesis study, talking about marriage and husbands and wives and how fathers should raise their children and so on and so forth, and, and mothers as well, we have described very carefully every one of those relationships and how it should be done in a, such a way that it expresses God's love. That Isaac should have raised his boys in a different way because it would have been an expression of God's love or his understanding of God's love. Most will likely say that it is the local church that is asking way too much. However, many of our sister churches are starving. Many of our sister churches are starving. Starving for tithes, sure. Support, sure. Starving for visitors, for members. And these days, a lot of them are starving for preaching. And some starving for an actual pastor. But there are some that have pastors that are starving for preaching. Starving for the true, bold teaching of God's word. The only way for us to be set free is by that truth. Their members have robbed God of their tithes to the storehouse, but still demand more for less. Still demand more for less. You imagine uh, being members of a church, and maybe you can imagine being a members of the church that spends money towards the streaming and all these things that we do, but they tithe less and less and less. None of these are cheap. Those who require and ask more of their pastor, maybe more of the staff, if they have a staff, more of the Sunday school teachers, and so on and so forth, but they tithe less and less, which results in a low wage for those who are called to serve these roles. Even still others have been born again, refuse to be faithful. They refuse to submit. They refuse and stubbornly withhold that which is truly God's. You don't rob me. You don't rob the brethren. You rob God. In turn, you rob us because your lack of expressing your love for God translates to less for God's people to be able to use to fulfill the ministry redirecting meaning they can do less so we see that this is not just mother father husband wife brother sister this is brethren spiritual brethren the command in his teachings is to leave our kindred leave the traditions of man leave those worldly lusts that we have been most of us raised with if not just raised around no, beloved, it is not the church that asks too much, but rather us that understands and serves too little. We've said recently that the Lord has required or requested that those who are burdened and heavy laden come under him. But how many are ever burdened and heavy laden with spiritual things? We can get burdened and heavy laden with a lot of things, 
But how many of us are burdened and heavy laden with spiritual things? Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that which is joined to an harlot is one body? He says here, do you not know that you, uh, you are part of God? Uh, you are a housing of the Holy Spirit? And if you joined in in other things in this world, specifically here the harlot, you are joining another body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Then he says, flee fornication. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our struggle to leave our own kindred and their traditions behind is an open refusal to Jesus' own command to follow him. As we will see going forward, I want you to ask yourself the question, who has deceived us? Who has said and modeled for us that it's okay to think we're following Christ but walking in a different direction? To say that we're pursuing the Lord, but not be in his house, not be in his book, not be in his word. And when I say not be in his house, there's the physical side of it, but there's the mental side of it. There's the aspect of being here while drifting about somewhere else. Now, many don't drive as far as we do to get here. Well, what a waste of fuel if I were to just drive here and then not pay any attention to anything that happens here. Many of you don't have four children like I do. So to squirrel away a few minutes to read a book in silence, what a waste that would be to not actually read God's Word. What, what kind of garbage I'd be throwing it away on to read or play on my phone instead of actually diving into God's Word. Luke 21, 8. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10 through 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes we read through that text and we just wait for the right one that's like, man, I'm not that one. So hear it this way. The old man, the old man will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it's all of us. All those things described... Maybe you have don't have a good example of when you've done every one of those things, but you've done some of all those things. That's the old man. He shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We shouldn't live anymore like the old man if we're born again. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Kind of what we talked about in that challenge this morning from Jude. Most importantly, Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God is not fooled. 
God is not deceived. God is not tricked. When we talk about Christians and their purpose, and we emphasize that our purpose is to follow Christ, to serve Christ, which, by the way, is what he told most of the disciples based on the uh, gospel accounts that we have. Follow me. Follow me. Said it to Matthew. Matthew left all and followed him. Said it to the fishermen. Twice. They left and followed after him. If, he, if you're so blessed that he said it unto you, what excuse have ye? Who's deceived you that you can follow him on your own time when it's convenient, when nothing else is going on? You know, when nothing else will be going on, if that is even the case, is when you're no longer working, you're retired. Uh, and by the time most of us get there, thinking of my grandparents, there's heart disease, diabetes, cancer. You're all used up. And you're like, well, I'm all yours, God. Whatever I got left, he desires you now. He has work for you now. If his calling on your heart has come before this hour, follow after him. Be not deceived. The second thing we see is to follow after him, he's called for us to hate our own lives. Now there are those who will say when the Lord calls for us to hate something, he means, as I said before, to love or like it less. In the first point, yes, I, I suppose you could make that argument. Jesus was not going against the law of Moses and instructing us to hate and dishonor mother and father. His instruction was to exercise discernment and give things their proper place. Discernment is such a big word that I don't know, ironically, if we've ever applied discernment into understanding what the word discernment means. I thought of a great metaphor yesterday while I was cutting a fried chicken for the family. Discernment would be me throwing an entire fried turkey or, turkey or chicken in front of you and you discerning what to eat and to not eat. You understanding that those bones are going to harbor some dangers as they go down your throat. You understanding that some of that isn't going to taste great. And some of it's going to taste fantastic. That's probably the, the easiest metaphor for a Baptist to understand, understand. That's the sacred bird, as Tom Ross likes to call it. We all understand fried chicken. So understand and exercise discernment in your lives. You don't need to go out and eat bones, cold and virus-infected meat that maybe wasn't even well-cooked. When this tastes so much better, this is the, the meat of God's Word, the fresh meat off a of chicken that's been cooked, prepared with love and care. And Livy and I, we love that skin. That's not good for you at all, but we love it. But discernment exercise here. Listen, Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What, you have to exercise discernment here. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, you have to exercise discernment. There's a, a little bundle of joy at the hospital waiting on all y'all. If you're God, you got to love him more. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, spend some time in the NICU like, like they're doing, like we've done. It's tough. But he's a gift of God. He is a gift of God, a product of God, a shine and, a, and an expression of love from God. Imagine the irony to say, I love this gift more than the giver. And that's what a lot of us do come Xmas time. Irony of ironies. Exercise discernment. Keep in mind, as you perhaps consider your next excuse to avoid faithful service to the Master, he uses the phrase there in Matthew 10, 37, 
is not worthy of me. Who makes that decision? Who holds that scale? Who looks upon the scale and makes the final assessment not worthy? Depart. He's not lived a life for me. He lived a life for himself. She's not desirous of my will for her. She's desirous of her own will, of her own contentment, of her own enjoyment. When I consider the use of hate when it comes to our own lives, speaking again of that old man nature, we want to consider the word Jude uses in the following text, which we'll get to in our Jude study eventually. And this, well, the way he uses it is detest. Jude verses 20 through 23 says, But he, beloved, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted with flesh. Christians are to detest that stony heart, self-first creatures that we once were before. He has no place in eternity, this old man and will never be profitable to us or to anyone else. We are never going to fulfill the commission with the old man sport coat. That old man nature is not going to work. We'll have no desire to be there. We'll be disgusted by it. We'll hate it. We'll detest it. Put off the old man. Listen to Matthew 9.9. 9. Jesus passed forth from hence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. This was his job. He's a publican. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Think of the picture here, as Matthew would have been very profitable in his profession as a tax collector. Initially, he would have walked away from his Jewish heritage and uh, to pursue this career, leaving behind tradition, which as a result cost him his kindred, probably cost him a ton of friends, if he had any, and it would have cost him his religion, his access to those uh, religious uh, ceremonies. Here the Lord calls him away from that worldly gate that he had chosen for himself. And he immediately arose and followed. It's so easy for us to say, oh, a drug addict being saved of Christ and walking away from something horrible. That's not how the drug addict would have seen it if he wasn't born again. The drug addict loves being a drug addict. The drug addict does everything he can for the next fix. Not relatable? All right. We are all drug addicts to sin. Every last one of us. We'll all do whatever we have to for the next fix. Whether it's sports and our obsession with that, which America is famous for. Well, what about Hollywood? Who will Will Smith smack next? Most of you get that reference and point. See, this salvation, this following after Jesus, we think, well, Matthew must have been miserable as a publican. He would probably follow just about anything. It was easy for him to follow Christ because there's a promise of better. There's no promise of better in this life in following after Jesus. There's a, there's a guarantee of harder following after Jesus. There's a guarantee of more difficulty, more uh, embarrassment, more alienation if you truly follow after Christ. Boy, preacher, you're not going to get any members today. That's not why I'm here. Matthew didn't follow Jesus because, man, life's going to be easier if I follow this guy. He already had easier humiliation from those who knew him, but he would have had a lot of money. 
he would have been doing just fine. It's his house they later have a meal at, after all. Many of these others didn't have those same luxuries that Matthew had forsaken when he followed after Jesus. Would his flesh not have longed for the comfort of his higher class home? The feel of his expensive garments? Mark 8.33, But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Through Simon Peter, we are once again reminded that Satan had a firm grip on our old lives. We may not even today want to admit how great of a grip he had on our old lives. There are a few that I've talked to. Steve's alluded to it a little bit about his musician background. But I think if we're all honest, we've got that part of ourselves, that part of our own history where Satan was having, I mean, we were the ball field and he was having a day, calling his shots, and we were cheering as he ran the bases. Satan will constantly use the ghost of Christian's past to entice him to draw back, to draw away from God. But as we mentioned before, we're not of that drawback nature. Listen to Hebrews 10.39. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe of the saving of the soul. Them that believe and have a great hope, a great faith, that pursue after Christ. Our third point. Jesus taught that we are to bear our own cross. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There have been many interpretations as to what Jesus might have been referring to by cross in this text. Let us consider what we know to be true first. Jesus gives a type of invitation here. He says, any man, any man who would truly come after or follow, there it is again, him. This is not what all can do, but it is what his will to do. Of this man, he will first have to deny himself. The same any man that this invitation is given to, he'll have to first deny himself. This is akin to what we've described above. Self is not welcome in the journey ahead. This highway of holiness that we talked about last fall in Isaiah, well, Isaiah could tell you himself in chapter 6, he was destroyed long before he started talking about that highway. He was destroyed. There were great woes upon Isaiah. Self is not welcome on the journey ahead. Jesus says himself, it's going to be hard. That's going to be a hard burden for you. I've removed the stony heart. I've replaced it with one of flesh. You're going to feel things now. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be embarrassing. You're, you're going in an opposite direction of where you were going once before. You might be called upon to take a stand. I've met grown men who are terrified to pray so they'll never join a church. It's going to get way harder than that. It's going to get way harder than that. John Bunyan is not a name we know because he prayed in front of people. The Fox's Book of Martyrs isn't chapter after chapter after chapter of people brave enough to speak in public. It's going to get way harder than that. Your security in the kingdom of heaven was bought and paid for by Christ Jesus. Your flesh only secured what that payment had to be. Yourself that we hang on to so preciously only made your salvation so expensive that it required Christ Jesus. Nothing to boast of there. 
Nothing to brag about. Nothing redeemable. With this man, now having a heart to follow, that has been consecrated from the old man through self-denial, he's now to take up his cross before he can follow Jesus. So we've now illustrated the facts leading up to the text, uh, part of the text that, that's in question here, the cross. Any man, any persecuted man, any man given the will, the ability to follow, that has been consecrated from the old man through self-denial, died unto himself, is now prepared to take up his cross and follow Jesus. The verse is delivered just after Simon Peter rebuked the Lord. So let's dive into that. Why is he rebuked? Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23, just before that verse, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter was rebuking Jesus that his death would not be necessary. However, Jesus' death was the cross. So what is the cross he's talking about here? Let's compare it to the cross that we know about. Jesus' death was the cross. Jesus' death was his cross that he must bear for our sakes. Everything we know about the Lord Jesus, all these New Testament writers continue to confirm Matthew 16, 24, that Jesus took this path first. He concludes it with, follow me. There should be no question of what he's talking about because he's saying, I've done those things, follow me. Does this mean we all go to Calvary? Absolutely not. But when he died at Calvary, he died as our sins, for our sins, not himself. And when we die, ye born again, you no longer have sins to die for either. But as Paul said, whether I live or whether I die, it's Christ Jesus. Everything going forward is Christ Jesus. Everything we've seen thus far, hating our own selves, leaving our own kindred, and this part, bearing our own cross, is all about Jesus. Christians in purpose, following after him. Consider the verses that follow. Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your kindred, your lives, and your possessions are now forfeit. Go and live for Christ. The fourth point, we are to forsake our own possessions. Luke 14, verse 33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 4, 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Forsaking our own possessions. Every one of these verses confirms that we don't need what the old man had provided. We don't need what the world has. It's when we've convinced ourselves that we have some desperate need of these things that socialism creeps in. It's when we have committed ourselves to the need of these things that we take jobs that keep us away from the Lord's house. It's when we've convinced ourselves that we need what this life has to offer so bad we forsake our children. We forsake our spouses. In this study, I, I've, I've done a lot of reading about those successful people in the world that were so dedicated and so obsessed with a, a level of success and achievement in life that they laid out as the, the pinnacle for themselves. And they lost everything else. The pinnacle for the born-again believer is to follow Christ. The means to our success is that we're only focused on Him. The elements of our feeding, of our sustainability, are provided for by Him. We've been looking at that in Jude. Mercy, hope, love, multiplied, all the things that we actually need for what He's actually called us unto, He has provided. The Comforter being within us, a continual sustain, a sustainment within us, a reminder of our purpose, our calling, and our ability resting in Christ Jesus. This is his will for us. This is his purpose. Let us be faithful and pursue after that. We'll continue this lesson next Sunday, but be disciplined, beloved. Be disciplined. Crave the meat. No one's ever said, I, I just desire a chicken bone so bad. So why eat it? Apply discernment to what you do with your time.